welcome to our very first relationship mini-sode of The Wavelength. In each episode, we're going to be tackling your biggest questions about relationships in the digital age as posed by our clients and you. I am your host, Dr. Sarah Adler, clinical psychologist, Stanford professor, and entrepreneur. And today we have our head of coaching and, and VP of operations at Wave, Megan Merck, to, to discuss all of the questions. And just to frame this a little bit, the reason that we wanted to start doing these Wavelength mini-sodes is, is actually coming from you. We have more downloads than we and listeners than we thought we were going to get, which is incredibly exciting. And what we have asked people, we have found people are, are asking us questions that are mirroring the questions questions that we're actually getting from our our very real coaching clients. And so we decided to address some of these questions through these mini-sodes. So we're going to be bringing these in between our larger episodes as well. So this is our, our first try. So welcome, Megan. Thank you. I'm excited to get to do this. This is It's really fun to get to bridge the the questions right from two sides, the ones that are coming in through the podcast and then the ones that we we hear a lot in coaching sessions as well. Amazing. So tell me a little bit about why are we talking about breakups? What are we seeing? What are you seeing in the folks who are coming in and why are breakups such a big deal? I think um, that's a great place to start. So I think we all know breakups can suck, right? Whether you're on the receiving end or you're the initiator, they're generally not fun. And I think that there's a lot of in a normal way, a lot of emotions that go through that. There's a lot of decision-making, potentially decision fatigue, right, around what should I do, what should I not do. There's a lot of ways that we question things. We may question ourselves. We may question past experiences. We may have doubts, right? We may kind of swing into some, you know, kind of all or nothing thinking about our future based on on some of these things. And I think that a lot of um, what we've seen with some of the clients we've um, had come in is they're kind of fresh off this breakup experience, right? Again, whether they are the initiator or the receiver, um, they're fresh off of it. It's raw. It is hard. There's a lot that's in there and there's a lot of discomfort, right, that comes in that those moments. And so we're getting some of these unique questions, some of which can be very direct, right, in terms of what they're ask- actually asking about. But part of what we know is that there's so many things that go into that experience of a breakup and that that it's very like multifaceted and nuanced like that i think that's i think that's it's it, it, it's also very unique to the person. And right. when we sort of think about what, why a breakup, because you know, so there are some people who, who seem to manage breakup. It's always loss. There's always pain, but there's some people who really suffer with breakups, any kind of breakup. And there are some people who seem to have more skills um, or support or emotion regulation to be able to like manage it as a normal part of life. And I think that that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious about what are the things that you're hearing when you are when our, when our clients are coming in and they are they want to focus on on breakups? Like, what are you what what kind of what are the main questions that you hear? So maybe we can those are the ones we can focus on on discussing today. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to your point, right, that there's people experience differently. I think one of the more common questions is, should I fight for this relationship? Should I let it go? Mm-hmm. Or another one should be would be like, how do I stop thinking about them? How do I get over it? Yeah. Yeah. So big, the questions of should I like, right, like how long is this going to take? It, it's almost a question of like, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Like when I right. hear that question, I sort of think to myself, it's, it's not how do I stop? 
thinking about them, but it's almost a more existential question of like, how long am I, am I going to be in pain and what can I expect? So what do you, what do you, how do you handle that question? I think it's, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that can be really interesting is when you have a direct question posed that way, like around this type of situation, and you know that there's a lot of discomfort that's there. There's maybe a lot of pain. You can maybe kind of see that somebody is trying to understand how to not feel the pain. And maybe they're trying to do it with like a logical calculation of like, when will I stop feeling this way? Or like, how can we get back together? Or when will we get back together? And so that's one way of, of trying to, you know, find your way out of that pain. There's, again, some of that all or nothing thinking that can come in too. So you're seeing them kind of reach for it in different ways. But part of what I often will, will try to just initially do is just to really norm that like, this is really hard right? This is a hard experience. And just try to validate that there is discomfort, there is pain, there is a desire to not feel that way that's there. And just also that again, especially for some people, it's really fresh. You know, it's really raw. Yeah. And and you're supposed to feel loss. You're right. supposed to feel pain. And I, I love that idea. I think that that I think in my in my work, I tend to do the same, which is when I get questions that feel like, when they feel very concrete, like they want it, they want to sort of, it is a black and white way of thinking about the world. They want answers. And what I, what that sort of signals to me is, wow, there is a marked intolerance of the uncertainty of how long the pain will last. And then sort of a very normal human response to avoid pain. And so helping, helping the client really sit in the discomfort and trying to reframe the pain. I love that as a normal part of the experience is like, you, yeah, if, if you had someone in your life that was filling, filling a need for you or filling an interpersonal, just being a part of your life, and then suddenly they're gone, there is loss associated with that. There is a normal, natural grieving process associated with that. So instead of judging your pain, trying to avoid your pain, push your pain away, accepting your pain and figuring out how you're going to relate to your pain and interact with your pain, experience your pain while not losing focus on the other things in your life that, that feel really important is, is like, is that reframe? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Like how do you care for yourself while, you know, time doesn't stop life move up, moves on. You have deadlines, you have exams, you have, you know, these other maybe milestone events that are, are planned for yourself or other people, you know, we know time doesn't stop. So how do we help to honor how you're feeling and take care of yourself while like it's a both and right while these other things are happening? That's right. How do you balance that? And oftentimes I think that it's the avoidance, the trying to get out of the pain, which is the wrong agenda. It's like the patient is like, help me. Or the client is coming in and saying like, help me feel better now, which is like something we get all the time, not just around relationships, but it feels like it's especially. And then we're kind of saying, no, actually, like you got to go through the grieving process, feel the pain, sit in the pain. Let's, Let's figure out how to do that. And at the same time, we can focus on other things that we value. I think like what I find is where that gets really, really tricky is with, we, we could talk about attachment styles, we could talk about object relations theory, we could talk about relations, early formative relationships, but I, I do actually think that the way people, the intensity of the emotion that people feel and the people who really actually sort of get very panicked or terrified at that loss do sort of fit a really kind of an interesting an interesting phenotype where it really does feel like life and death for them when, when a relationship ends. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think that with that too, right, that part of what's hard is that it can come from all sides. It can come from friends, friendships, right. It can come from romantic relationships. It can come from 
any of these other types of things as well. And so I think romantic breakups, you know, especially if you're of a younger age, it's probably a first, it might be a first time that you're experiencing this. But part of what is also kind of known as you get older is that again, you you'll probably experience this in a friendship at some point, you'll probably experience this more than once in a romantic situation. And so there is kind of the, the first nature of it also that I think is really hard, while there's also the like the larger understanding that, that how you we can help with coping through this can be applied to other situations in the future too. Yeah. But to the person, like this is the only big, biggest, biggest problem in this moment. That makes a ton of sense. What do you think of, I feel like there are a lot of strategies that people come in with, again, usually to kind of facilitate this avoidance paradigm of like, I don't want to feel bad. Like I'm going to like wipe out my Instagram account and delete all of the shared photos, or I want to like erase every, every shred of them. So I never actually have, have to like interact. What do you, what do you think of, of some of those strategies? Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because there's common ones that people will try to do, but they're also sometimes trying to monitor their ex <laughs> and see what their ex is doing. Like, why haven't they deleted the photo, right? Why am I still there? What does that mean, right? It's almost like this inner investigator kind of wants to come out to try to, again, like uh, solution or try to figure out a math equation for what this all means. But I think that, yeah, I've, I heard a lot about, you know, kind of going cold turkey on something like that, deleting all the socials, like all of those things. People will often try, we'll talk about distracting themselves. Like I'll try to watch a movie. I'll try to listen to music. I'll just pour into work right now. And then also sometimes like it's more complicated for some people when you have kids together, right? You have this need to continue to see each other. And you also are are shifting the way that you have access to somebody as well. And they have access to you. Right. So all of those things. But yeah, I think it's very common to try to just stuff it down, not think about it, like get like get over it by erasing it and kind of like leapfrogging this grief stage rather than kind of, you know, journeying through it. Yeah, it's it's true. We're not just talking about folks that are that are, you know, single and don't share kids that you Breakups are incredibly intense and incredibly complicated when you have other ties that are sort of holding you and forcing you to interact with each other. Then it gets to a whole nother level of, of complexity. That's interesting. What, what are other things that you're hearing from our, from our clients about their biggest pain points? They're trying to, to not think about them, right? Which is code for like not feel, right? right? Just like you mentioned. It's also a thought around like... If, if somebody feels like they contributed to the breakup decision some way, like how do I make peace with what I did, right? Whether that's like cheating, whether that's you know, a lie, whether that's something else, it's like there's a, sen- a felt sense of causing it that, that is discomfort, <laughs> discomfortable, uncomfortable <laughs> too. And then also I think that there's like, again, that fight to like try to get it back. Like what if this, like, and also I should say along with that, like, why, like, why don't they want to be with me? Like, why mm-hmm. would they rather be alone? Or why would they be with want to be with somebody else? Right. And so then I think it, it turns into that internal audit of like, why, why am I undesirable? Right. Right. Yeah. Especially for some clients I've had where they've been together for a very long time. 
Yeah, and I feel like that that is another like it's really interesting, right? Because again, that's also another I sort of think of that as another control strategy of another way to control emotion. If if I can if I can turn this into a puzzle that I can just figure out. And if I can turn it into a puzzle that I can just figure out that has to do with me, then maybe it's fixable. Then maybe there's like a solvable or there's a solution. I can be different, look different, do different, and then get them back. What? Do, how do you think about, because oftentimes when I find when I'm dealing with breakups, the the intention, and I'm actually really curious from a coaching perspective and a psychology perspective, how this is different. What do you do when the agenda is I'm coming in because I, let's say, want to get him back? Like my agenda is to like get him back. And you're kind of sitting there going, and I know like as a psychologist, it's like my job to sort of sit there and like almost not... Like, I'm going to acknowledge that agenda, but we're going to explore about why that's the goal. What do you do from a coaching perspective if someone comes in with that, with that very focused agenda? And like, what do you say? I would, I would say approaching it the very same way, right? Like you don't want to discount that as a goal initially, especially if you're new and getting to work with somebody and you don't really have that relationship built yet. You really want to honor that and not challenge it, but also want to be curious about, you know, why that is the goal. And I think um, what I would often do is to try to understand more of what the person is wanting, right? They say maybe they want their ex back, but like you're wanting to feel more secure in the day to day. Like you're wanting to have more of that companionship. You're wanting to have somebody to talk to and share how you feel, Right. So so not making it about the person, but making it about more of the experience or the feelings or the things. And then oftentimes when you I found that when you frame it that way and you get like, you know, agreement around that or you get agreement around something different, that's actually more true for them. It helps to better understand those desires like absent needing to connect them to that other person. Right. Right. So it's it's not just about about that. It's about these other things. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yes, it's not about the other person specifically. It's about what is the role? What is the function this person kind of plays in my life? So like before we we close out here, I think that, I mean, I totally agree with that and, and would do the same thing. And I think I had one patient say to me once, like, are you saying, like, there's, a, there's a, almost a, a myth around that we get fed by like the Disney industrial complex and by by media and by movies and all of this thing that like by fairy tales that there's one person for us and so oftentimes I feel like we're combating we're like pushing against that and someone is saying but if everyone is just interchangeable like are you trying to get me are you saying this and and it's hard and and what I find myself trying to navigate is this idea that whether someone is in your life or not the meaning that they imbued, the experience you had with them at the time where they were in your life doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't disappear. It doesn't, it doesn't get erased just because you're no longer with them, but it is data that you can really learn from. I think, and to your point, figure out what was really successful about this. What was a great fit? What did I love about this? And then you can seek from a goal orientation perspective to then um, move towards other relationships that that support that, that support those things. So it, it actually can be a really great moment if you can get people to accept that it's it's normative. Again, like the pain is sort of normal to to really help people clarify their values of like what is important to them in their in their relationships. So that's awesome. 
Right. I think it's it's so true. And again, I think especially when you're young and it's a first, it's really, really hard because you maybe are, again, deep in the belief that like this is my person and that you think that that's totally true. But what and again, this is interesting because I've been there like I've been that in my teens. I've been that in my 20s. And now like in my later 30s, like you kind of have a little bit of the wisdom to know that like that's that's not always how it works out. There's multiple paths to to being in relationships. Relationships can look a variety of different ways, right? And more, I think when the more that you believe that there's only one person, the more you feel like you can't knit together a cohesive journey experience of like your life and the relationships, the phases, the seasons, what you learned, right? What you gained and what maybe you lost at different times. But ultimately, if we can broaden the horizon to see it bigger than just right now, or assuming that right now is the forever, right. or it needs to be the forever, then we open up a lot more space to get to really knit together a much more cohesive, evolutionary experience. I actually think that's an incredibly wise, that's an incredibly wise piece of advice as well for when you are in a relationship, because we can often find ourselves Sometimes the demise of a relationship or the reason for a breakup is because there's too much codependency or enmeshment. And it is very hard to maintain one's autonomy in a very healthy way in a relationship sometimes because really good, strong relationships are actually about compromise. And there's a lot of skill. It takes and a lot of emotional maturity to be able to communicate your needs and to have the other person match your emotional maturity to be able to hear that and an assessment of like, do our needs fit in or do they not? And I think it's a really wise thing to say. Like I've seen a lot of relationships break up that should break up because they're codependent and unhealthy. But oftentimes a key, I think, to that that healthiness is that is that knowledge that I'm making a choice to be with this person. It's not a Romeo and Juliet fantasy where I have to be with them or I'm going to die. Right. Which is like something very much I that resonates with me as a teenager as well. Right. Awesome. Right. Or that sorry, the last little part about that yeah. too that I think is so true is is again that idea of needing to be chosen versus getting to choose. Oh, yeah. And there's so So much that can come in when you get to really realize that you have agency in who you want to choose versus only needing to go with who who chooses you. Who chooses. That is that is so real. That is so real, so real. And that, you know, my at my brother my brother's first wedding, he that rabbi said one of the smartest things that I think I've ever heard and that keeps coming back to me. This is like twenty five years later. My brother's like remarried and divorced and all the things. And I'm sure he will really appreciate me saying that on this podcast if he watches it. But the rabbi at the wedding said, it's really easy to stand up here in this now and in this moment and in front of all of your loved ones where there's like presents and a party and a fancy dress and in like the the celebration of it to like choose this person to spend the rest of your life with. And it is much, much harder to, to continue to make that choice every single day into the hereafter. And I don't love necessarily the religious construct of like, you're making a lifetime choice. What I do love the idea is that you are making a choice every day. And that if Mm -hmm. if that choice that you made yesterday is not actually working for you today, you actually have agency and autonomy to reevaluate as you grow and learn, like, is this still the right choice for me? And, and I love that. So amazing. 
Thank you so much, Megan. I, this was super fun. I love talking to you about all things clinical. And thank you all for joining this mini-sode, um, which is a word I didn't know existed, um, of the wavelength. And really what we're hoping to do is provide an interesting discussion and tangible relationship advice for digital natives. So one thing we didn't get into that we really do need to get into at some point is like how um, interacting primarily through your phone impacts all of this, which is difficult. We touched a little bit on the social media, um, but be sure to check out new mini-sodes as we um, continue to take your questions that are coming in from our coaching clients, as well as um, our, the interaction with these podcasts, and we'll try to answer them for you. Our music is Gold Roses from Cloud System. And as always, if you are having a mental health crisis, please uh, reach out to 988 or to a uh, support system of your choice. And as always, you can check our app out at, in the app store and it's wavelife.io. So thank you. Thank you.